thinking about are the projections of what they think right. other people are thinking about them, which they may or may not be thinking. So then your whole world revolves around what are other people thinking about me? Yes. Which is not a good place to be. And we all do it to some extent. So that's why we were talking about inside or outside of ourselves. Where are we looking? Mm -hmm. So if you're looking inside yourself, you say you're freaking hungry. Right. You're looking outside yourself. You're looking for confirmation that it's okay to say I'm hungry. Yes. And if it's not okay, then you don't say it. Right. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, the antidote to conventional financial wisdom. My name is Al, and I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. This podcast will explore the emotional and psychological factors that affect our behaviors. All of the other financial podcasts out there will talk about the numbers and the math. We will confront the stories that we all fuse with that ultimately set the course for our lives. I am not looking for new clients and have no intention on running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is and call out all the commonplace BS. Now, let's get into confessions of a financial advisor. Okay, we are live, Virginia, with inside or outside ourselves. Right. We've been fumbling with this title. First, it was looking <laughs> inside yourself. And we're like, that's not really it. Right. And it's more the idea of where do you look? Mm -hmm. So are we looking inside ourselves? Are we looking outside ourselves? How are we getting the narrative on who we are and how are we describing ourselves and who do we think we are? What is it based on? Is it based on just the feedback we're constantly getting from others? Right. So one of the quotes that I like, the only concern we should ever have should be how we feel about ourselves, mm. which is the complete absence of comparison. Mm -hmm. So that idea of, the billionaire who lives alone in this world by himself, <laughs> not, not so happy. Right. Who wants to be a billionaire by themselves? That would be really boring. <laughs> and you mentioned like, it's not just because you don't have all this money to spend and have lavish things. Right. It's because you're not able to help people. You're not able to do anything with it. There's nobody looking at you and giving you accolades or praise or feedback or anything. Right. So then what good is it? No matter which kind of billionaire you were going to be, whether you were going to gloat and show it off, well, there's no one to show it off to. Yeah. Or if you were going to be generous and caring and share it, mm -hmm. there's no one to share it with. So either way, it doesn't mean anything. It's not a win. So what's the fun in that? Right. And there's so many facets of life where if there were no one to share it with or if there were no one to compare it to, it wouldn't be a win. It wouldn't be as fun or as exciting. Or like you said, no one would be there to give you accolades because of your accomplishment. Mm. Nothing would matter. And the reason this kind of came to mind was I'm catching up with you here and I'm now reading Untamed mm -hmm. by Glennon Doyle, because you and Diane mentioned that a while back yeah. in one of these episodes. And one of the chapters, all her kids are having a party or something, and there's a bunch of teenagers over at her house, and she kind of walks up and is trying to check on them, but she doesn't really know what to say or do. So she asks if anybody's hungry. And right there, as it's playing out in front of her eyes, all the boys don't even lose contact with the television. Mm -hmm. 
and they just immediately say, yes, you know, like all the boys are hungry. The girls took a minute, though, and she witnesses them looking around silently at each other, literally researching each other's faces and gathering information based on each other's reaction before one girl speaks up who's, I guess, (laughs) the silently elected spokesperson (laughs) to say, oh, no, we're not hungry. And she just is sitting there noticing the difference between the two different types of reactions, who looked towards others before responding and then who looked inward and just said what they wanted without hesitation. Yeah. That was so interesting. I mean, there's so many times where I myself will even look at the kids or look at my husband or look at my friends before saying, hey, do you guys want to do this? When if that's what I wanted to do, why don't I just say that? Why do I look to anybody else? See, I think you can have the same exact story. Yeah. The male version, let's just say it was in gym class, right? And there's boys in one section, the girls in one section. Mm -hmm. And the teacher was like, all right, we're going to run five miles. Who wants to do it? And then like all the boys would be looking at each other there. And the girls would be like, no way. We're not doing it. (laughs) You know, like it's it's just not something. Like, hell no. Right. But the boys have like testosterone. They want to prove themselves. Yeah. Is one of these guys going to be like the macho guy? Yeah. Like who wants to win this trophy for wrestling each other? You know, the girls aren't going to wrestle each other. Right. The guys are. And they're going to look at each other like, should we do this? And (laughs) and the context with Glenn and Doyle is food. And food's the, you know, that's a big one, right? For women, because Mm -hmm. you're judging yourselves on your bodies and Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody, I mean, you can't be too rich or too thin, right? <laughs> <laughs> like that whole idea in this culture is so crazy to me. I agree. And I battle with it because I have two daughters. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, the thin thing. I mean, it hasn't come up yet, but I'm bracing myself mm-hmm. because I do think it's so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and not to get off on a complete tangent here. Let's go down the health road for a second. I mean, I know that's your thing. It's my thing. Yeah, you're into this. So let's talk All about right, it. All right. So- I think, generally speaking, guys Mm -hmm. like women that are healthy looking, that are maybe like a little bit, (laughs) how do you say, thicker or you don't need to be like Kate Moss and 105 pounds. Like to me, that's disgusting. It's like, right. I don't, that's you not... need a little bit of curves. Like curves are natural. Curves, curves are, attractive. are natural. Think about like a car. Which car are you most attracted to? Yeah. For a, the longest time, I thought like a Dodge Viper was like the most beautiful car. Guess why? Mm, it's got curves. curves. Ah. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. You know, think about other things that are not humans that we are generally attracted to. They tend to have like a cool shape or some cool curves to them. Is that why they call cars she? Like, you know, this, ah. this is Lucille, my uh, Mustang. <laughs> I've never thought about that. I don't know that. either. Yeah, or go to any museum and every picture mm-hmm. is of naked women that have curves. Yeah, they're all these curvy women right. that the artists were attracted to and they were the best ones to draw because of all the curves and the shadows. And and then the 50s pinups, like, you know, the Betty Page and Sophia Loren, like the curvy women. like Right. And all right. And just to also put into perspective... Go to like any type of Instagram or anything like that. Mm -hmm. The women that are getting the most views are not the ones that are ultra skinny. It's the bigger women. 
I know this is a whole superficial thing. Right. I don't want to really go too far down that rabbit hole, but I'm so tired of like the society telling <laughs> women, but they do the same thing for men. So mm-hmm. for women, it's like, you got to be super skinny and, you know, right. just eat some salad. And if you're hungry, just right. have a strawberry. No, you gotta <laughs> eat a freaking hamburger, like eat, like you're allowed to eat. Okay. Right. You want to be healthy. I get it. And for men, it could flip to the whole idea of you want to be muscular, you know, Mr. Olympia, do steroids, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's like a whole different thing, but it's still this projection, like you're projecting yourself and what feedback are you getting? Right. For women with women, a lot of times it's, you're so skinny. Oh my God, you're so skinny. And, you know, I just want to be, I wish I was that skinny. Right. Everything fits you perfectly. You're so tiny. Yeah. And then with a guy, it's like, oh man, you're looking big. You look like you've been working out. You know, you're looking real buff. (laughs) You're looking swole, man. You're looking swole. (laughs) Swole. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But this is the feedback that kids, I got it from when I was a kid. Yeah. I remember I went to my freshman year of college and I weighed like 165 pounds, like soaking wet, six feet tall Mm -hmm. as I am now. (laughs) For being a freshman, that's a good size. A lot of guys are like sticks at that age. In my mind, I thought I was the skinniest, unattractive, just started going to the gym and it was all about like eating as much as I could Mm -hmm. and lifting weights and trying to gain weight. Yeah. Very difficult to gain weight when you have a super high metabolism. (laughs) Well, so you just said I was eating as much as I could. I was trying to gain weight. Uh Uh-huh. I was lifting all the time, trying to get bigger. All the time. What are all the girls trying to do at the same time? Trying to eat as least as they can. Mm -hmm. Trying to get thin, trying to fit in the smallest size jeans they can. Yeah. Like, why is there this opposite of what society thinks we should look like? Well, I think it is like the advertising because how would it be back in the 50s? Certain women were attractive and now that's gone away. And now maybe it's coming back around. It's kind of like a trend thing. Like I think it is. I think it's a trend thing because for the longest while, it wasn't attractive for women to be curvy, right? That's kind of what we've been talking about. It was like, oh, you got to be stick skinny. You got to look like throw out some supermodel's name. I just always thought Kate Moss. <laughs> it's old school. Though. Kate Moss is a good one. Now it's like you've got the Kardashians. You've got like a lot more curvy. Oh, that's true. Beyonce and like Jennifer Lopez. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Forgot about them. Yeah. So that's a healthier role model, I think, for young girls. But still somewhere along the way, weight gain and health and what you look like is going to come into the conversation or at least become a thought of theirs, even if it's not spoken out loud. It's like these girls in this chapter, nobody said anything. They all were just silently pulling and researching each other's faces to see what the other one was going to think or say before one of them spoke up. Right. The reason that hit me was because how often have we not just on our feet, boom, said what we wanted? And how often have we paused or Mm -hmm. questioned how it's going to come off? Or what if somebody doesn't like what I have to say? Or any number of reasons that we might pause or question what we're thinking or feeling instead of just, if you want to say no, say no. If you want to do something, say you're going to do it. Whatever it is. If you're hungry, say you're hungry. Like, it's okay. Yeah. I think just like a lot of things, you know, as long as it's not in excess, you're fine. 
Just do what you mm-hmm. feel and don't worry about what someone else says or thinks or wants to say about what you have to say. Like do what you want to do. If you're tired, yeah. say I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Good night. <laughs> like don't worry about what everybody else is going to think. Isn't that one of your biggest hopes for your kids to be that well-adjusted and that confident? Absolutely. But I also think I wasn't that way. How should I expect them to be that way? Like I want to yes. give them the confidence. But you can't give anybody confidence, right? Right. So you have to have some flexibility, I think, with the children. Yeah. Know that we want the best for them. We want them to be so well-adjusted and so confident. And you want your daughter to be the one that stands up and says, I am hungry. You know, <laughs> yeah. and the, the rest of y'all are crazy. I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. And the guy, you know, my or the son to be like, no, I'm not going to be 300 pounds and muscular. I'm just going to be who I am. Right. I'm healthy. I feel good. I have thought about, okay, what conversations do we need to have or what exercises do we need to do to create decisiveness and Mm -hmm. to create their ability to make a decision and know what they want and think about, huh, okay, what do I feel? Am I tired? Am I hungry? What do I need? And for them just to be able to answer that without looking to anybody else or being like, oh, well, I don't know. I should really stay awake for 30 more minutes. Mm, Yeah. We've been trying. There have been a couple of times where I've asked a question and they'll sit there and him and haw And I'll say, hey, make a choice. We're practicing being decisive. Mm. Yes or no? (laughs) I've gone through that too. I'll ask one of the kids, what do you want to do? Well, what do you want to do? I'm like, you don't answer a question with a question. Right. I just asked you what you wanted to do. I would tell you what I wanted to do if we were going to do that. I'm asking you. You could answer like (laughs) for for something as simple as where do you want to go to eat? I don't know. What do you want? No, mm-hmm. what do you want? I'm asking mm-hmm. you a question. You can answer this. Just tell me what you want to eat. Think about it. I'll give you 30 seconds. Right. Think about it. Mull it over. Consult with your friend. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you got to do, but you can come up with an answer on your own. Yeah, well, and you almost said it right yeah. there. Consult with your friends. Oh, consult with your friends. <laughs> oh, yeah. You shouldn't do that. Yeah, but mm-hmm. see there, it's so natural for us to poll or research or try in some way to figure out what we should do instead of look inside yourself and say, what do I think I should do? What am I feeling? What do I feel drawn toward? Yeah. I think that's maybe also why meditation is kind of a trend right now also because we're all trying to unlearn some of these habits that we've accidentally carried with us. The great unlearning. Yeah. That's what everybody's going through. I think so. It's what Buddhist philosophy talks about. It's just unlearning that you were born perfect. Mm -hmm. The world came into your life. You have all this stimulus. It fucked everything up. Now you got tons of clouds. It's It's a thunderstorm. You're trying to clear away the clouds and realize there's this clear sky behind it. Yeah. Well, and maybe some of those clouds are other people's judgments, other people's opinion, all the research, all the time that you could spend polling and gathering a consensus about something instead of just, Mm. if those clouds were gone, maybe you would be able to easily look inside yourself and feel which way you should go and know what choice you were going to make. Well, if we're really going to like drill down on this, let's take, for instance, that situation with the girls in the book. Mm Mm-hmm. So the mother comes in, anybody hungry, they're all looking around to each other. 
what are they all thinking at that time? So what they're all thinking to themselves in my mind is that, well, what is she going to think if I say I'm hungry and what I shouldn't say I'm hungry because then they'll think I'm fat or they'll think I'm like a pig or they'll think I'm all the girls are thinking about are the projections of what they think other people are thinking about them, which they may or may not be thinking. So then your whole world revolves around what are other people thinking about me? Yes. Which is not a good place to be. And we all do it to some extent. So that's why we were talking about inside or outside of ourselves. Where are we looking? Mm -hmm. So if you're looking inside yourself, you say you're freaking hungry. Right. You're looking outside yourself. You're looking for confirmation that it's okay to say I'm hungry. Yes. And if it's not okay, then you don't say it. Right. So it's kind of this strange thing where you're getting this feedback. And if you remove the thought process of thinking, what are they thinking about me? Yes. The game's over. Now you just say what you want. You don't care what people think about you, right? Right. It's a tough thing. We're social beings and social animals and we do understand and we realize people are looking a certain way yeah the nuance of their looks and the nuance of and we crave community and acceptance and we're Mm -hmm. so afraid that if we do or say the wrong thing and that's unacceptable to my friends then I'm going to be ostracized and out of the group and yeah I won't have that community catastrophized yeah it's this constant fear you can go from saying you're hungry to being ostracized from the entire group yeah that's where your mind goes yeah, right exactly I guess maybe in a small way maybe you're not really thinking of it that way but you're like this is the first step that leads to if I keep doing this nobody's gonna want to be around me yeah Wow. That's what makes it so tough to go out on your own and really just look Mm -hmm. inside yourself or (laughs) finds that confidence where you can ask for what you want. Right. I wrote a list of what men deal with as far as this kind of thing and Mm. why they look outside of themselves and I think how they compare themselves. And one would be the first thing, which is a strange word, it's impotence, which is definitely sexual impotence, but it's the impotence about getting on in the world and being able to manage your life mm-hmm. in multiple different areas, you know, whether it's finance, child rearing, protection, like protecting your family. Mm-hmm. You're always feeling like, how am I measuring up when it comes to how's my house? How's my car? How's my bank account? Yeah. And what if somebody approached my family and tried to harm them? Would I be able to protect them? Am I up for this challenge? How am I measuring up? Right. You're always on this hierarchy of where do I stand? And that's how you're judging yourself as a man. Mm. Can I provide and can I protect? Mm -hmm. And if you don't feel good about those two things, that's pretty much the same as the girl that is looking around to everyone and just looking for outside approval and just no self-confidence. And that's like the man's version of that, I think. I could see that. I mean- For anyone, for either gender or identity, it's all about, am I good enough? There's some Mm. level of not good enoughness yeah, and a fear around not feeling good enough or not being good enough. That's initially why we look to others for approval because like we said, we want that community and we crave that camaraderie. And if we think that other people would say, oh, yeah, me too. I'm hungry too oh, then we have a tribe around us and it's okay for us to be hungry because we're all hungry. Yeah. But if you're the only one, then you're alone and there's a separation there. And 
it's like you said, your mind can catastrophize like, oh, well, what if I'm the only one who's always hungry and no one else is ever hungry? And so then I'm always eating alone and they don't want to be with yeah. me because they're doing something else while I'm eating. And so then yeah. it can become this really terrible health, mental loop, dieting. Yeah, that could go really wrong. Yeah. But the next chapter talks about one of those hot yoga classes, and you and I have both been yeah. in these before where it's super hot. 95 degrees. Yes. 90-minute class where you're stuck in this super hot, yep. humid room. Everybody's sweating their ass off. For me, I know when I'm getting myself into this, like the first three classes are going to suck. Like I'm going to spend half the class laying on the floor. Child's pose. Trying to survive. Yeah. <laughs> In the book, you know, it's her first class. The instructor tells you not to leave. So basically, she suffers through the class, winds up running out at the end and gets sick. Yeah. And while she's kind of getting cleaned up, she's like, what is wrong with me? Like, why did I stay? Why did I suffer? Mm-hmm. And then the last sentence is, the door wasn't even locked. Yeah. It was like this feeling that she was trapped. Yeah. But she wasn't. Mm-hmm. And it was all about that she was just doing what she was told instead of feeling what her body needed. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be sick, your body needed to get out of there. It's not about not following directions or not complying in some way. But again, it's looking inside of yourself instead of following the herd. Outside approval. Yeah. Well, that instructor in that scene said something like, you can't leave. Yeah. Like you have to stay here during the whole class. There's no leaving. That's part of this class is you have to get through it. Right. And then it's almost like a shaming kind of thing. If you leave, I just told you you can't. And they do start the Bikram classes out that way. Yeah. I remember thinking like, oh God, what happens if we do leave? Am I going to be in trouble? Are they going to allow me back? Yeah. And for a guy, it would be like... (laughs) I don't want to be a wimp and I can't do this in front of all these people. There's no, I'll die in this class before I leave. Like there's no way I'm leaving, you know? Well, and some women probably feel that way too. Maybe there's that competitive kind of. Because you have all levels in those rooms. I mean, you have people of all shapes and sizes, people who come every day versus people who maybe it's their first class. Right. And there's definitely that even in the yoga community, it's like, oh, are you a real yogi or are you like. Trying it or yeah, you yeah. wanna be. Yeah, I wanna be. <laughs> you just have the outfit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that just kind of struck me of like again reinforcing that idea. Stop looking to everybody else. Just do what you need to do. And I use the example for you. Like sometimes I feel really bad when it's eight o'clock. I'm putting my kids to bed and I am tired. I want to go to bed, but I'll like feel bad. Mm-hmm. Like, why is that? Just say you're tired. Go to bed. Just surrender to your tiredness. There's no shame in that. But for some reason, I feel that. Yeah. I I get a little bit of that, about staying up. Yeah. I don't want to go to bed. Definitely not before my kids. That will never happen. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And there was a day somewhat recently. I was like, I'm done. I can't. Maybe I'm sick. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to bed. Y'all come and tuck me in. (laughs) And the kids looked at me all funny. And I was just like, daddy's in charge. Just (laughs) mommy's going to lay down. (laughs) And they were like, are you okay? It was this thing like, oh, you have to be sick for it to be acceptable 
right. for you to go to bed. Because you've carried yourself all this time as the matriarch of you can't, you do everything. Right. You're invincible, mom. Yeah. You're awake when we wake up and <laughs> you're awake when we go to bed, right? Yes. And in the middle of the <laughs> night, guess who magically jumps up and <laughs> saves the day? We put so much pressure on ourselves to always be there to be at our best. And like you said, always be awake, be accepted. There's just so many Mm -hmm. descriptive words you could throw in right there. I just, I want for sure in my own life to just make it a practice of being like, no, what do I want? Mm. Do I want a hamburger or do I want tacos? Because I'm picking tonight. Yeah. I mean, just like the dumbest thing. But if we can start being decisive about small decisions that we want for ourselves, maybe when something big comes up, we'll be able to hear that inner voice without really questioning what other people think we should do. Hmm. I think of it from a different perspective as a man, like when it comes to finance, as this Hmm. podcast is confessions of a financial advisor, not so applicable. (laughs) When I think about like that whole comparison thing, When you hear people talk about money and you think about their bank account and if they have an extra zero at the end of their account or two extra zeros at the end, Mm -hmm. what's the difference? It's a number that's in the ether. Yeah, you can take it out. You can make it real. You can buy shit and get all this stuff or whatever. Mm. But most people don't. And so Mm -hmm. the person that has a certain amount and the person that has three more zeros after their... What's the difference? Like you're the same person. As long as you're like you're eating... My mom used to always say, like, you can only eat one steak at a time. Hmm. There's only so much you can do with all of this money, but we're always striving for more because of this comparison and that guy's got more than me. And then you start to almost Hmm. think of people that have money in a different way. I found myself to do this. So you you go to somebody's house, they they live in a freaking mansion maybe, and you're like, whoa, what does this guy do? And you almost start looking up to him and almost treating them different than you would treat somebody you think almost hmm. they're better than you. Like that guy's freaking yeah, got it Yeah, it's almost like you're putting them on a pedestal or something. Without even knowing them, you know, right. just knowing, looking at what they have. And then I've realized that the opposite way. So somebody that has maybe less than me looking at me, that I'm like, right. we're all the same people here. There's good and bad everywhere. There's good poor, there's good rich, there's everything in between. Right. I kind of categorize any one section as one way or another, it's, it just doesn't make sense. That's so true. When it comes down to it, it's a number. It's a number on a screen. Most of us don't even get statements anymore. So it's literally like a number that you log into and you're like, oh, there's my number. <laughs> you know, it's kind of silly when you- Right. Th- so for some reason, we've like assigned this label or connotation or designation to these numbers or how many zeros it is or whatever. Yeah. And how many damn documentaries are going to watch where some dude's in a shack on the beach and he's 60 years old, he's surfing every day and he's got no money and he's got like one frying pan and, well, this is one specific documentary, but there's there's a lot of them. (laughs) I was thinking this sounds pretty (laughs) specific. There's a lot of them out there similar to this, like similar concepts. Mm -hmm. And he just smiles from ear to ear, will talk to anybody, is friends with everybody He's in shape, he's yeah. tan, he's having a great time. It's the whole like money doesn't buy happiness concept. Like you have to find your own happiness. Your bank account won't create happiness for you. Yeah, and I think it's really ironic. I think it's been proven that beyond an income of, I think it's like 70 or 75,000, like once you reach a certain level, 
there is no increase in happiness that correlates with an increase in income after that level. Right. It's definitely diminishing returns after that. I thought that was super interesting. I compared to a guy that's on the shack in the beach with the frying pan. I'm watching this documentary and I'm like, that guy's so freaking happy. Like, why am I not that happy? You know, like what, right. What am I doing wrong? Like, yeah, look around. I have all this. Why am I not happy? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. How could we have it all flip backwards here? Mm-hmm. Again, I could be wrong. I don't know who this guy is. I just saw him in a documentary, but I can't imagine that he's really thinking to himself when he's sitting at home at night. Oh, I wish I had a million bucks sitting in the bank and, you know, and I wish I had this and I wish mm-hmm. I had that. I don't think so. I don't think he's thinking that <laughs> again, could be wrong. Don't know the guy, but I find myself thinking that guy's got a cool life. Like that's right. Wow. If I was to retire and spend the rest of my years just surfing and being on the ocean and like having lots of cool neighbors and living super simply. And she, I, I think he got it all backwards sometimes. And so I'm thinking inside myself, I don't want all this. Like mm-hmm. I don't want all my stuff. I've always thought that too. Stuff's nice to have sometimes, but if it all burned to the ground tomorrow, I wouldn't really care about too much stuff. Yeah. Memorabilia, I guess, you know, and pictures and yeah, you want that. that I miss that. Mm -hmm. But like inside me, I'm I always wanted like a simple minimalist kind of life. I always Mm -hmm. enjoyed the simple things. I think that's why I'm kind of getting back to more of the outdoors, hiking, camping. Yeah, I got away from it for a long time. And I find being in um, artificial environments. Yeah, like a fabricated environment. Yeah, it's not, doesn't suit me. It just mm-hmm. doesn't. I don't want, and then, and then the more you think about getting nicer houses, nicer, I'm like, doesn't seem appealing. I don't want to sit on nicer leather. I don't want to open a nicer <laughs> fridge. Like a fridge <laughs> keeps things cold. Like, why do you got to have a $5,000 fridge? Right. Well, and I think that's the value <laughs> in finding enough happiness and fulfillment in yourself to where those things aren't buying you happiness. You're not finding your happiness outside of yourself. You're finding your happiness inside yourself. Yes. And so then you're more comfortable being a minimalist or spending your money on experiences instead of stuff. You're not wrapped up in the mindset of what other people are thinking about you. I think a lot of it also has to do with who you surround yourself with. Right. There's always going to be negativity. There's going to be people in your life that you're going to have to deal with. You're never just going to get away from every, have the perfect people around you that are non judgmental, mm-hmm. that aren't comparing. You do have the capability to find people to surround yourself with that you feel good right. around, that make you feel good, that you feel that are contributing to the relationship and that mm-hmm. are looking out for your best interests. Mm-hmm. Some of them aren't. It's never going to be 100%, but I think you can kind of get it toward the majority. I think if you focus on creating a little community around yourself with people who value some of the same things you do, Mm -hmm. then it's easier to look within and make decisions based on how you feel, what experience you want to have beyond needing to look to all these friends who value superficial things and gain their approval mm-hmm. for things that are affecting you, not them. Yeah. Well, I think we're surrounded by it with social media now. Again, we've talked about mm-hmm. the highlight reel a million times, but the idea when you spend an hour scrolling through something like a Facebook and you're watching the highlight reel, the best moments of people's lives 
and then them putting quotations in, you know, <laughs> best life ever and living the best life. And I love them so much. It's the perfect person for me. And my kids love each other. They love me. And everything's like about like mm-hmm. how great my life is. And you're sitting there at home on your couch, maybe drinking your glass of wine. You're reading like somebody else's mm-hmm. amazing life. It's not going to make you feel good, but you're going to completely compare right. yourself to that. And you're, you're going to feel bad about yourself. There's no way you can stack up to that. There's no way right. you can measure up to somebody's highlight reel. You can't. Because you know your highlights, but you also know the shit that went wrong in your mm-hmm. day. But when you're looking at this gorgeous Instagram post of this seemingly perfect person with this perfect life, you don't know all that shit that went wrong in the background. You are only seeing this picture and this caption. Right. And they're only giving you right. their perfection. They're not giving you the behind the scenes, the crap, yeah. the toddler throwing the fit in the other room or whatever's going on. You don't see that in a picture. See, my instinct is to like, <laughs> this sounds so cynical. <laughs> So to be like, almost look at it as the opposite. I'm like, as good as they're making it look, it's just as bad as they're making it look. Yeah. How the greatest man I've ever met. And he's just the perfect person, the perfect father. And we're star-crossed lovers. And that, and it's on and on and on. And it's like, you want to puke? There's something wrong in that relationship. Because <laughs> I feel like I'm in a good relationship. I don't feel any kind of yeah. need to announce it to the world, shout it from the rooftops. So I think it's almost showing, it's uncovering, it's right. That's a mask to hide something. It's a clue that there is something going on behind the scenes that they feel they need to share how perfect everything is in order to cover up something else that's not going so great. I think so. Mm-hmm. And you know it in reality too, because you probably have people in your life that you know. Yeah. <laughs> I have like crazy kids or crazy whatever is going on. They have you know some kind of situation. Oh, absolutely. And then you look online and you're like, that's not the same people. What do you what the hell is that? Right. Those kids are nuts. And now like they're all smiling and like petting the dog in the picture. And- oh yeah. No, I 100 percent know those people. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody does. There are right? some very <laughs> ill-behaved children whose mom posts the most beautiful, gorgeous pictures and <laughs> how well their kids are reading and how thoughtful and sweet this child is. I'm like, no, honey, that kid's a brat. (laughs) (laughs) I I 100% know those people. (laughs) But I think it's a good practice, although I think Mm -hmm. it is very kind of cynical and negative. But I'm trying to keep it in balance because I feel like if I buy into that crap, which I know most of it is crap. Mm-hmm. Then I'm thinking worse about my own life. I'm looking outside of myself. Right. That's making me feel not good. I should literally not be looking at Facebook in the first place or Instagram or any of that stuff. But I guess to counterbalance how bad it's making me feel, like I just look like, no, that's complete bullshit. Yeah. So we're in a world now that is almost forcing you to look outside yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're looking at Instagram to see oh, that's a beautiful picture. Like, oh, is that what my life is supposed to look like? Yeah, a phone is outside, right? A tablet is outside. A computer screen is out. These are all outside things, you know? Right. Instead of you going, no, I want my life to look like this and having your own unimpeded choice or vision of what you want your life to look like. Mm -hmm. But that's almost impossible. It is. It's difficult. 
it's just a matter of limiting it. So I was telling you, I was reading this new book um, called Think Like a Monk. Mm. And I'm all into like, you know, the Buddhist philosophy and all that yeah. stuff. I've, I've always been since I was in my 20s. I just love it. I think it's great. Think Like a Monk. Think Like a Monk. Okay. He talks about when he first went into a monastery, of course, you know, they shave his head, they take all your possessions, you have like two robes. But the one thing he said that was kind of unexpected was that there's no mirrors in a monastery mm. and it's intentional. Oh. They don't want you looking at yourself. They don't want huh. you to think that you're this person that you're looking at through a mirror. They want you to kind of look inside yourself because, mm. again, you're looking in a mirror. You're looking at something. Yeah, it's you. It's your physical body. But that's what other people would see mm-hmm. of you. So that's still looking outside yourself. Okay. Right. So it's the kind of idea and try to get your attention off of your appearance. Uh-huh. That was the whole idea. Like, Forget about appearance. Nobody cares what you look like. Interesting. And then once you're not looking at yourself in the mirror for a long period of time, this guy was talking about how you just forget about it. You just look at the world in a different way. Mm. I mean, I find it even just working from home. I mean, I look in the mirror a lot less than I used to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, I'm growing a beard. I'm like, I don't give a crap. It's just, you know. Yeah. I'll sh- I'll shower. Still keep certain hygiene. Right. The hygiene's there, but we no longer are. Fixing my tie. You know, matching the perfect shirt with the perfect shoes and fixing your hair. And yeah, for me, like I haven't worn makeup and that used to be unheard of. I mean, I used to be somebody that had my hair down and makeup on. And, and then fixing it during the day, right? Running to the bathroom, redoing your makeup, right. redoing, you know, trying adjusting everything. Carrying makeup in your purse. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's an external, yeah, there's, there's so much to it when, it when you're talking about looking inside and looking outside. We spend the majority of our time looking outside. Mm-hmm. So there's no big surprise that children, teenage girls Mm -hmm. are looking to each other to make a decision. And teenage boys would do the same thing in a different context. And then you grow up in that environment. How are you not going to do that as an adult? Oh, yeah. Like it continues to perpetuate with. Yeah. What kind of car do you have? What kind of house do you have? What kind of banking? You know, like your stupid stuff. Again, it's like I always think about with money and I like talking about like the money issue with this. Mm -hmm. Because it's a superficial external thing that people have a lot of judgment around. A lot of judgments. And the the other thing I'm starting to realize, and I've realized all along looking at clients, but I never thought it was real. Nobody ever thinks they have enough money. Mm. Ever. Right. Well, I shouldn't say anybody. Very few people think that they have enough money. Right. I've never heard one person in my entire career as a financial advisor that told me, I wish I didn't save as much money as I saved. Exactly. They don't think they ever have enough. They think they're going to run out. They never get a sense of real security. Mm-hmm. There was a quote that I heard or came across the millionaire and the billionaire and all their friends still don't think that they have enough money. No, oh, they're stressing more. Yeah. They're more to lose. It just really hit me. It was like, you know, be glad for however many hundreds you save each month or, you know, the 50 bucks that you're investing, whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, be proud of what you're doing. Because you're always going to think that you're not doing enough, no matter how much you have. Like you're never going to be happy with it. That's nuts. Right. So, But the money goes into the same kind of idea of like you not sleeping or not going to bed early Mm -hmm. because you can never do enough, right? There's always more you can be doing. You can never get to the end of that checklist. Same thing with money. You can't get to, you get to a certain number. Why not double that number? 
Right. So I heard Wayne Dyer say it once before. He's an author that passed away a while ago, but he was a psychotherapist. And the client was telling him that, I'm, you know, Wayne, I'm going to be super happy. As soon as I say $15,000, I'm going to be super happy. And then a year goes by, the client comes back in and Wayne's like, so did you save that $15,000? He's like, yeah, yeah, I did. But once I get to 30, you know, 30, and then I'll yeah. really feel happy. We're constantly one-upping ourselves. And then it goes on and, and never ends. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter. The amount doesn't matter. Like you said, it could be millions. It could be thousands. It could be whatever the dollar amount. It's a moving bar. Yeah. And if you're not conscious of it, so if you don't have... Again, you have to wrap your head around the idea that mm-hmm. this is the way my mind works. My mind's mm-hmm. always going to make me think I don't have enough. My mind's always going to make me think that I don't do enough. I'm not getting right. through my checklists. I can't go to sleep before nine o'clock. I'm not productive enough or yeah, whatever it is. It's always a moving bar because if you like that guy yeah. and you look at your stuff and you're like, oh, when I get to this point, I'll have made it. Like I'll be so happy. In a year, you'll get there and you won't feel any differently. Yeah. It's a moving target. Yeah. This is the whole misnomer, though. I think the whole illusion of this is that we think when you get to that point, you're going to feel completely different and this ultimate sense of security and it never happens. Mm -hmm. So then what happens is you just keep setting a new bar Mm because when I get to that amount, then I'll definitely feel that. And then you don't. And you're like, why can't I erase this feeling? Right. Instead of just saying, all right, this is the way my mind works. This is the way I, I'm going to feel going forward. Right. Let me work around those parameters. Instead of trying to erase this feeling, mm-hmm. I have it. I have the feeling. It's not going to, it hasn't gone away up to this point. No amount is going to make it go away. And I think that feeling is because we're looking toward productivity or money or the number of clients or some kind of mm-hmm. external thing. Yeah. And when we get there, then we'll be happy. Instead of, let me find happiness where I'm at and enjoy the process or enjoy the journey. But You're always 10 steps ahead. You're always looking down the road. Right. I think in some weird way, from a philosophical standpoint, it has something to do with the fear of death. It has to do with, Mm. we all want to in some way be like immortal. Nobody wants to wrap their head around the idea that eventually someday you're going to die So it becomes this thing Mm. you have to chase, like you have to basically be on this treadmill because it kind of keeps that demons out of, you know, I don't want to think about, I'm I'm not, I'm never going to die. So I got to just keep going and chasing because if I stop and then I'm, I've arrived, then all I have to think about is my inevitable fate. (laughs) And that makes me think about where someone has interviewed people on their deathbed There's no one that has said, oh, you know, if I only saved more money or if I only did this or that or accomplished this thing, that's not what they're worrying about at death. Should have worked more. Should have spent more hours in the office. Right. They are concerned about what experiences they had, who they spent time with, Mm -hmm. relationships they had, relationships they wish they could have patched up maybe. Mm Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's more about experiences and feelings and connections mm-hmm. than these external yeah. accomplishments. They wish they weren't the person that always looked outside. I think that's a big trend for people that are on mm-hmm. 
kind of end of life where I wish I didn't like follow everybody else's rules. I wish I didn't follow right. what everybody else did. I wish I didn't care about what everybody else thought of me. I wish I just went to the, the beat of my own drum. Right. That's kind of, I think, a regret a lot of people have. But it's a tough thing to do. It's easy to look right. back in retrospect and say, I wish I would have done all these things. Mm-hmm. It's the same idea as like wishing you wouldn't have worried as much from your 20s until now. Mm-hmm. You did worry. And guess what? You're going to worry going forward. Right. You're not going to erase worry. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. You can keep it in perspective and you could not suffer in the worrying, but that's what you do. That's what right. people do. <laughs> it's like saying you want to go through life with having no problems. No, your life is about solving problems. That's mm-hmm. everything's about that, right? Yeah. And that's what so many people say like, oh, I wish I had less yes. problems or I wish I had, or the misunderstanding that if you had more money, you would have less problems. And, you know, there's a lot of yeah. variables around that equation. Right. I want things to be different than the way they are, essentially, right? Yeah. That's what we should be focusing on is looking inward, seeing how we feel, reacting based on our feelings, and then solving problems based on how we see that it should be solved, not looking to everybody else to think what they would want it to look like. Yeah. But this is the thing. It's like whenever we talk about these topics – there's no like one path. It's not like this direct, mm-hmm. like this is what you do and this will never happen again. It's right here are the four steps to solve your. Yeah. And then you'll never you know. look outside yourself anymore. You'll only look inside <laughs> yourself. It's just, it doesn't work that way. No, I mean, there's exercises in awareness. Mm-hmm. We mentioned meditation and yoga. And yeah. Who, who you surround yourself with. Those are also exercises in awareness. Yeah. And just your concentrate or thinking about your mental Mm self-talk. You know, if your self-talk is, what is everybody thinking? Catching that. I do it. I do all these things. I do too. I'm working on it, but I do it too. So come follow us at faconfessions.com and like and subscribe and follow and share with your friends. (laughs) We've been getting like a lot of listeners lately. Yeah, and I saw a few reviews lately, so we really appreciate that. Go ahead and post your review. We do read them. We might get to a point where we could read some on the air. That might be fun. Yeah. We're really hot in Jamaica right now. (laughs) Thank you, Jamaica. (laughs) That was fun, Virginia. So next week, we're going to talk about the nervous system. Mm -hmm. It's not a science project or a science topic. Right. Because I'm by far... Definitely no scientist. It stems from something I listened to by a guy named Alan Watts, who's a philosopher back from like the 1960s during like the psychedelic kind of Woodstock era. Mm-hmm. English philosopher, funny as hell. If you ever listen to any of his stuff, real smart, real intelligent, and real funny huh. and real insightful. His name's Alan Watts. Okay. And he talks about how all of our problems, stresses, conflicts, everything is a product of management of our nervous system, that we're not managing our nervous system properly. We're letting it get jacked up, fight or flight, anger, envy. Yeah, everything's about our reaction, But on a physiological level, right? So like your heart starts racing, Mm -hmm. you get welled up, you get tightness in your chest, your palms start sweating. What he's basically saying is that all the physiological stuff, it starts there and then the thoughts start spewing out because you're Mm. trying to describe what's going on in your body to yourself. Right. Why am I like this? Why am I getting like this? Why is my heart racing? I feel uncomfortable. I'm not feeling good right now. Yeah. And then why? And then the why is, 
well, it's because he did this to me and because so so did this to me. And then like, so you can kind of see how some of the physiological stuff will kind of get the thoughts going, which then bring up intense emotions. Mm-hmm. It can happen in reverse too. So like sometimes you can have thoughts that then trigger the physiological state, but they're both interconnected. Right. I wanted to just go down that rabbit hole of the nervous system, how it works. And I know very intimately how it works just through a history of having, you know, anxiety attacks and and just, I mean, from anxiety attacks to everyday stress that everybody else has. Right. And just kind of feeling what's going on in your body and noticing it. I think everybody at some point has felt nervous or uncomfortable or... You know, maybe you raised your hand to speak and then you wished you didn't. Mm-hmm. We could all relate to that. That'll be a good one. All right, everyone. Well, we'll see you next week with the nervous system. See you next week. 